Our scripture reading today from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. We are happy to have you with us today. Thank you for joining us on this frigid morning to join together in worship of our King. Welcome. Coincidentally, welcome. That is also the title of the new series that we are beginning today. Every January, we set aside three to four weeks to join together in focusing on why we exist as a church, and as we consider our purpose as a church in some detail, our prayer is that we will each individually and collectively begin to see both the general and the specific parts we have to play in all of that. So this is actually the eighth year in a row that we have spent January discussing these issues, and although this year we are going to, there's going to be a bit of a unique spin on this conversation The big questions that we want to ask, the big issues we want to address and think about are actually the same as they are just about every year. First of all, we want to ask ourselves, how can we properly understand the church in general, this big, living and breathing global organism that we are a part of? And then a follow-up question to that, how can we understand this small, local expression of that organism that we call solid rock. And then there are some follow-up questions to that for us to consider. How can we as a congregation grow in faithfulness to what we believe God has called us to do and what we believe call, who we believe God has called us to be? And how can I, on an individual level, begin to faithfully live out my purpose as a part of the body of Christ? And how can I more faithfully embody the values and participate in the life of this community? Now, the unique angle or the unique perspective that we want to approach these issues from this year is in terms of hospitality. Every conversation we have for the next few weeks, we want to frame it in terms of hospitality, which is where the title of this series comes from, Welcome. So there's sort of a double meaning to that. 
If you're new or just beginning to check us out and considering making this your home, your community of faith that you want to be a part of, we say, welcome, this is what we are about. You can get to know us. But for those that have been a part of this community for quite a while, who call this their home, welcome. That is what we are to be about. So does that make sense what I'm getting at there? We are to be a hospitable people, and we're not just talking about hospitality in terms of maybe a willingness to offer somebody a drink of water when they visit your home. We're talking about a much more robust vision of hospitality, which recognizes first and foremost the incredible hospitality with which we have been welcomed into the family of God, and then what that means for us. And then the fact that we have a responsibility to exhibit that same hospitable ethos in everything we do. So we want to begin this year, begin this series, quite simply by reading through our purpose statement. You may have run across this on our website if you have checked us out online, or you may have heard it here on Sunday mornings. Uh, but we're going to read through it and then begin walking through it a little bit over the next couple of weeks. This is our purpose. As a missional community, or just think church, we are a group of individuals, a community on mission. As a missional community, following the teachings of Jesus, we seek to participate in the restorative work of God by discovering wholeness, encountering the sacred, caring about each other's journey, and engaging in our surrounding culture. So another simple way we could put it is that we are individuals who gather together to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. We are a community of individuals who have found life in Jesus Christ, a, a community that is submissive to his lordship and intent on following in the ways he leads us and then seeking to participate in his great work of restoration that is ongoing throughout our world. And we believe that that whole process begins with discovering wholeness, begins with discovering who we are and who we were meant to be as God's creation. You know, in Viktor Frankl's incredibly moving and heart-wrenching book, Man's Search for Meaning, he chronicles some of his experiences as a prisoner in several different Nazi concentration camps during World War II, sharing incredible insights on what it meant to survive, and not only survive, but even to thrive and flourish when the situation that he and others faced did nothing but seek to snuff all life out of them. And one of the great points he makes throughout that work is that it wasn't the individuals who were the biggest, it wasn't the individuals who were physically fit or the strongest. In fact, physical strength didn't at all predict survival. What he found is that it was actually a sense of meaning, finding a sense of meaning that superseded or surpassed all external circumstances, and it was that that made survival and even flourishing possible in the most unlikely of places. And I think there's a lot of truth to that, and as followers of Jesus, as a community, we believe that it is Jesus who provides that meaning for our lives, first and foremost, in that he makes us whole. He is bringing together all of the fragmented pieces of who we are as a result 
of sin, combining it back into a beautiful mosaic. It is the life of Christ in us that enables human flourishing. There is a lot in our world that actually makes that exact promise. This product or this experience will really help you live. This will help you flourish. But as Christians, we resist that commercialized vision of human flourishing, and we affirm the fact that it is Christ alone who makes wholeness a reality in our lives. And so as a church, when we consider why we exist, this is where we begin. We exist so that we personally might continue to find life in Christ and then that we might be a point of access through which others might find that life as well. So perhaps one of the most, or one of the best pictures, or one of the best analogies that we find in our scriptures that sort of captures this idea of human flourishing, this idea of discovering wholeness, and all of those fragmented pieces coming back into a complete whole, we, we actually find from Jesus himself in John chapter 15. In verse 1, this is what Jesus says. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does, does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are, are, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Verse 4, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We find a similar thought actually expressed throughout our scriptures. The Apostle Paul puts it like this through that analogy of the body. We are all parts or members of the body, and he compares that to the parts of a physical body. We are the parts of this body united into one being, united into Christ and united to one another in a way that is inseparable. The Hebrew prophet Isaiah has a unique spin on this as he is pointing ahead to Christ who will be the foundation of the holy priesthood, the dwelling place of God. Paul puts it another way earlier in Ephesians in chapter 2, saying that Christ is the chief cornerstone, the cornerstone in whom the whole building is fitted together and becomes the dwelling place of God. And this is similar, I think, to the idea that Jesus gives voice to through this analogy of the vine. It is a lovely picture of a life that is flourishing. A life that is flourishing, and how do we know it's flourishing? Well, it is producing good fruit, not in and of itself, but producing good fruit because it is attached to a life-giving source, attached to a life-giving vine, which is tended by the Father, the vine dresser, toward that end of human flourishing. So just as a vine is giving its life 
to the branches. And ultimately, those branches are then producing or bearing fruit. And those grapes can then be processed into wine and something beautiful that is life-giving. Likewise, abiding in Jesus produces a fruitful life. In fact, it is the only way to live into our intention as human beings. So our prayer as a community is that we would be connected to the vine in such a way that we flourish, that we receive the life of Christ and are built into and sustained by his life, and that we might then produce good fruit. And by that good fruit that is produced through remaining attached to the vine, we might draw others to this life-giving vine as well, working towards the flourishing, the restoration of all of creation. Of course, not in our own strength, not in our own wisdom or our own abilities, but because our life comes from outside of us. Our life is coming from the source of life, who is Jesus Christ. Let's continue reading this in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. Jesus says, abide in me. That is how you live. And this is why we exist. This is what we hope everything that we participate in as a community, whether it takes place in this room or in homes around Springfield, all of the routines and rituals we go through on a Sunday morning, the prayers we pray, the songs we sing together as we lift our voices, declaring our trust in God, we hope that all is directed toward the end of helping us stay connected to the vine because we understand that's the only way we can live into our purpose. That's why we exist, to be an avenue through which that attachment to the vine can occur. Jesus says it's connection to me that is the only way to truly live, to be fully human. Stay connected to the vine. When you don't abide in me, the end result is something completely contrary to your intended created purpose, and those results are ca catastrophic. Just as branches that don't produce fruit are cut away from the vine, when we refuse to remain connected to the true source of life, who is Jesus Christ, we always end up with something that is less than human flourishing. We will never end up with our created purpose. And how do we remain connected to the vine. We stay planted in his love by following in his ways, listening to what he commands of us. And we abide in him, not because this is something that we have discovered, but because he has pursued us, because he has first loved us as the father loved him. We remain connected to the vine 
We grow in the things that lead to increased life for us and those we come into contact with. And we grow in the things that lead to increased life for all of creation. We abide in Christ because he first loved us. Rowan Williams put it this way. He was a former Archbishop of Canterbury. He once said, before we belonged to anything, before we did anything, before we achieved anything, even before we believed anything, God was loving us. This is what compels us to remain attached to the vine, the love of Christ extended for us. So this is the first part of the conversation for this morning. I want to pivot a little bit now and consider what this place, how this place that we gather in today is focused on that end. So we discover wholeness. That's why we exist, so that we could remain connected to the vine. But if we end the conversation there, we stop short of a central piece of our purpose as a church. Because the local church, and we we could make this more specific and think personally about our congregation, this is not just a place for my spiritual and my relational needs to be met. And beginning to understand that simple point will have a drastic impact on everything that we do when we get together as the body of Christ. Understanding that simple point impacts the rest of the conversation we are going to have throughout the rest of this month. Because this place is not just about me and my family. It is about that. It is about you and your family, but it's not only about that. And if we can acknowledge that fact, we then must begin to make an effort to be hospitable people and to create a hospitable place where others are positioned in such a way where they can begin to discover wholeness as well. Does that make sense, the connection we're trying to make here? There's a really interesting episode in Exodus chapter 3. So we're going to jump back to the Old Testament. And this is going to admittedly seem disconnected from where we're heading, but I hope to connect the dots eventually. So this is after Moses is depicted as killing um, one of the Egyptians. Do you remember that story? There's an Egyptian that is beating a, a Hebrew slave, and passion rises up within Moses, and he strikes down that Egyptian, but somebody witnesses his crime, and it reports it to the authorities, and Pharaoh eventually hears about what has happened, and plans to kill Moses for this offense. And so Moses is seen fleeing to the land of Midian, and he actually settles there. He builds a life and a family in the land of Midian. Well, at the end of chapter 2, while Moses is in Midian, we are told that the Israelites are still burdened by oppressive slavery in Egypt. They cry out to God. God hears their cry, remembers his covenant with Abraham, and plans to rescue them. We jump to the beginning of chapter 3, where we find Moses, again in the land of Midian, minding his own business, shepherding his father-in-law's flock when he is visited by an angel of the Lord in the burning bush. Do you remember that story? There's a bush that is on fire, but it's not being consumed, which is a crazy phenomenon that, of course, gets the attention of Moses, and he begins to listen to God who is speaking to him from this burning bush which is where we pick the story up in verse 4. Moses, Moses, the voice from the bush. And he said, here I am. 
Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So where we're trying to take the conversation now is what this place that we have gathered today, how that impacts our ability to remain connected to the vine. Now what follows in this story in Exodus chapter 3 is God's promise to rescue his people from the oppression they are facing in Egypt, and he calls Moses to play a role in all of that. God says, I am going to use you to deliver my people from slavery. But there's something interesting that takes place in the section we just read where God instructs Moses in this way, saying, take off your sandals because the place you're standing is holy ground. God is here. I am here. This is holy ground, so show honor and respect that is due me. Now, when I was growing up, it was not uncommon to, you, to, to hear this story used in reference uh, to when it came to showing respect for the church building that we gathered to worship in. Anybody else? Have you heard the story used in that way? We are standing on holy ground, and there was this general assumption that the church where we gathered, because it was viewed as the dwelling place of God, we need to figuratively take off our shoes. We need to show reverence to God's house. I, I don't think that's where this story leads us. We obviously understand that God is not confined to the building we meet in. If this building disappeared tomorrow, hopefully it won't, by the way, um, but if it did, just go there with me in your mind, if it did, we would still be the church. This, obviously, this building is not the church. You and I are this local church. We are the body of Christ in this specific location in Springfield. And this isn't the only place where we or where others can encounter Jesus Christ. And yet, this physical space that we have been blessed with is undeniably important. It's important. We, we are trying to help our three-year-old begin to understand the concept of sacred spaces, which is a challenging endeavor, I will confess. And we consider, though, this to be one of those spaces. Not because God dwells here and only here, not because this is the only place that we can connect with God. Of course not. God's presence is everywhere. God is not limited in any way by our institutions or our buildings. However, we do think, or at least I think, there is something special about this place. And places of worship like this all around our city and all around the globe because of what we have set this aside for. This is a gathering place where we join together in corporate worship, where we gather to encourage, to challenge, and to pray for one another, spurring one another on to in faith and good deeds, where we seek to come as a routine to stay connected to the vine because we know that remaining connected to the vine is the only way we can live into our purpose. 
And for that reason alone, this is a sacred space in a unique sense. And of course, there is a balance to strike in all of this. When we talk about the sacred nature of a physical location, it isn't at all with the intention of creating a fear that if we spill a beverage on this concrete floor, or if we wear a hat into the room, or if we're swinging from the chandelier, or the ceiling fans, I guess in here, we don't have chandeliers, which actually, I come from the Pentecostal tradition, and that would actually be acceptable behavior. I'm just joking. <laughs> that may be a common misconception, and it actually may take place in certain Pentecostal churches, but anyway, it's not to create a fear that if we engage in certain behaviors, it's going to make God upset with us. That's not at all what we're talking about when we talk about having respect for a physical location where we meet. But understanding that this place is special because of our collective intention when we gather here. There are specific ways I think we can respect this physical location for what it is and for what it represents for our community without becoming rigid in our understandings and without becoming harsh in our judgments. D do you understand what I'm saying? We, we can show respect without becoming harsh, without becoming rigid, but understanding that this is important to the life of our community. So here are a couple of very simple but specific examples to consider. The physical components that make up this building are not special. They're not any more special than any other physical components that are used to build any other building in Springfield, I don't think. The furniture, the fixtures that we have, the seats that you are sitting in today are not special or holy just because they happen to be located inside the four walls of a church. But they are special to us because they are resources that we have been blessed with as a congregation, not just to accumulate stuff, but stuff that we have been blessed with in order to enhance our purpose to enhance our ability to stay connected to the vine. And as a result, we have a responsibility to steward even ordinary, mundane stuff because we, first of all, want to be good stewards of the blessings we have received. We want to take care of our stuff. But secondly, and probably more importantly, this is a place where we understand that people are gathering on a weekly basis from very various backgrounds, with different experiences from their week, all coming together, gathering in order to worship, in order to connect with God, to receive the Eucharist, to connect with one another, have holy conversations with brothers and sisters, pray to God, sing songs declaring our trust. And in all of those activities, we seek to remain connected to the vine. And so we want to be a hospitable play, people and create an environment that is conducive to those ends. So is this holy ground? No, not any more than any other piece of real estate in Springfield. But is this special and sacred for us? Yeah, it is. Because when we gather, we are collectively joining together with one purpose of remaining connected to the vine. And we have all of these memories from past years where really significant things have taken place in our lives in this room. 
with these people. We've had people pray for us. We've had people walk through difficult seasons with us in this room. And we have all of these memories attached to this place. Really important ways in which we have remained connected to the vine. I've been in dozens of cathedrals and incredible old church buildings throughout Western Europe. Colby and I were actually talking about the cathedral in Cologne, Germany this week. And there's this sense when you enter some of those cathedrals, that wow, this is a special place. There's something uniquely special about this location. But let, let's face it, there's nothing really special about 1040 North Sherman, which is our address. If you didn't know, that's where you are right now, 1040 North Sherman. That there's nothing special about this building. The building itself isn't holy. It's made of two-by-fours and drywall, and we actually still have the popcorn ceiling from the 1990s. So let's hope this building isn't all there is to the church or we're in trouble. That the physical objects and materials that comprise this building aren't holy, but this is a sacred holy space because of what we have designated it as. Of course, the church is not the building we meet in, but it is a part of who we are. There are some significant and important things that take place here. And so this space is sacred in as much as when we gather here, we gather expecting to encounter the sacred. We expect to encounter Jesus Christ in this meal that we will share in just a moment. We expect to have holy conversations with our brothers and sisters to be encouraged and to be comforted and to be drawn deeper into faith. Yes, God is everywhere. And yes, we can worship God anywhere. In fact, we are worshiping even in the ordinary and mundane aspects of our lives, in our homes, and in our places of employment, and where we pursue recreation. All of life is worship to God. But this place where we gather for corporate worship is a space we have set aside to intentionally focus our attention in a collective sense on spiritual things, and it is special to us. This place, our church building, does not enable connection to God. We don't have to have it in order to remain connected to the vine. We can remain connected to the vine from wherever we are, but this is a tool that we have been blessed with to aid in that process. Of course, we meet Jesus in all sorts of places outside this building. We meet Jesus in all sorts of people outside of the group of people who have gathered here this morning. But when we gather here, there is a special sense in which all of our corporate attention is focused in worship and focused on encouraging and building one another up, which is actually the conversation that we will explore in more detail next week. So, Kevin, if you all want to come up. So this is what we're trying to get at. Thinking about our purpose in discovering wholeness, remaining connected to the vine through which we find life, the only way we believe we can flourish as humans is through connection to the vine who is Jesus Christ and then understanding what this place and what this group of people around us, how that all impacts our ability to remain connected to the vine. So we want to create an environment that is hospitable, an environment where the chances are increased that others will have a meaningful encounter with Jesus Christ. 
And so that may mean that we have to approach things in a way that is maybe a bit more uncomfortable for us. It may mean that we have to approach things in a way that creates an inconvenience for us, but we acknowledge that in the fact that we exist to discover wholeness, that's not just about me and you discovering wholeness. It's about anybody that joins us being positioned to discover life in the vine who is Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to pick this conversation up next week, but we'll stop here. Stephanie, if you want to join me as we prepare to share in the Eucharist. This morning, I think this is the most appropriate place for us to land, gathered around the Lord's table to share in Holy Communion, understanding that our purpose is to find life in Jesus Christ, and we do that by remaining connected to the vine. And I think this is a physical demonstration of that connection we experience. We believe that we are encountering Jesus in this meal, that he is sustaining us, that he is giving us his life as we gather around his table. So we invite you to join us this morning. You don't have to be a part of our congregation or a part of any certain denomination. Really, the only requirement is, do you want Jesus? Do you want more of Jesus? We invite you to come. Feast at his table. Experience the life that he offers. Would you join me in prayer? We, Lord Jesus, we do not presume to come to this thy table. O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat this bread and drink this cup, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body and our souls washed through his most precious blood, and that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Amen. Would you join us at the table this morning?